to do a little reorganizing up here. Let me encourage you to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We're going to take a look this morning at the triumphal entry. Using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find our text today on page 891. The triumphal entry, <clears throat> Palm Sunday, the day that they waved palms before Jesus and laid him out on the roadway. I mean, in many ways, it, it, would make a, it really makes for a great American religious day, doesn't it? I mean, we love parades in America, right? We have Memorial Day parades, July 4th parades, Thanksgiving Day parades, New Year's Day parades. We love breaking out the duck boats to have championship parades here in Boston. And we, we just love parades, right? And, and this was a day in which Jesus enjoyed a parade. He enjoyed the affirmation, the celebration of the people. You know, um, I love the story that's told about Palm Sunday. There was this little boy who, he was like six or seven years of age, and, and he was always taken to church by his parents. And one day he was, he was sick on a Sunday, and he couldn't go to church, and he stayed home with his mom. And his, his father went, and when his father came home, he brought him a palm like we're going to hand out afterwards. And he came home, and he gave it to his son. And he said, well, what is this for? He said, well, you know, when, when Jesus came, they waved palms before him and laid him out and, and, and shouted words of celebration. And the kid goes, just my luck. The one Sunday that I miss and Jesus shows up, you know. <laughs> I'm glad you guys laughed at that, you know. Sometimes you get a little joke out there. You wonder if you're just going to be left hanging, right? Um, I want to read these verses for us. And I want to kind of revert back to a strategy we've used before and we'll use again in terms of looking at the Scriptures. I, I kind of want to look at the what and the so what from our passage today. You know, this, is, this is an experience in the life of Jesus that all four Gospels tell us about. So sometimes we read this and we say, hey, it's great, you know, the celebration, that kind of nice, you know, it's cool, you know, it's way fun. Where's the beef? You know, where's the meat in this? What, what's the word to us? We want to look at the kind of the, the what and then the so what. what. What difference does this make to us some 21 centuries later? Follow along in your Bibles as I read aloud. We're in Luke chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 28 through 44. And you can find this in Matthew 21. It's already been read for us in Mark 12 and also in John 12. And, and here's what we read. He says, when he had said these things, he went up ahead, going on up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there, on which no one has ever sat, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say this, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the young donkey, its owners said to them, well, Why are you untying the donkey? says, The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their robes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. Putting robes on it was a sign of, like, honor, if you will. And as he was going along the road, they were spreading their robes on, on the road, kind of like the idea of kind of rolling out the red carpet. Now he came down the path, down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Now, this was probably a group that was a group of pilgrims kind of traveling with Jesus. It could have been a mixed group, but by and large, it was primarily made up of Galileans, those who had left the northern area of the kingdom, traveled over 
to the east side of the Jordan, made their way down, had crossed back across the Jordan, were going up to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so they were, they were more aware of Jesus. You know, he'd been up there doing miracles and teaching, etc., because that was home for him. And so they have, they, you know, and, and, and as they're walking in and, and this whole thing kind of gets started, they just remember the, the miracles and the blind being able to see and the deaf being able to hear and the dead being raised back to life and all that kind of stuff and the feeding of the 5,000 and et cetera. And, and they just begin to praise Jesus. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. Now, why is that? Well, by riding on a donkey, he was clearly claiming, if you will, or he was, it, it, he, it, people could have gotten confused, you know, because that was understood from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, that this was a messianic thing, that when the time came when God sent his king back into Jerusalem, this 500-year-old prophecy, that was going to be related to the Messiah, you know, and so the Messiah was going to come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And, well, since Jesus wasn't the Messiah, he should tell his disciples to be quiet because things just might get a little confusing. And Jesus replies, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the very stones would cry out. And as he approached and saw the city, he wept over it. In fact, today there is a chapel that's built part of the way down the slope of the Mount of Olives. It's uh, referred to as the Dominus Flavet um, Chapel. That's Latin. I don't read Latin. I don't speak Latin. I don't like Latin. All right? But what that means, it means the Lord's tears. And, and they, have, they have literally built the chapel in the shape of a teardrop. Because they believe this is the place where Jesus stopped and looking at the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it. And as he, and he began to say in verse 42, if you, know this, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build an embankment against you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. And that was to happen in A.D. 70, just some 35 years from this period of time. And they'll crush you. And they'll crush your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave one stone on another in you because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, why is this story in the Bible? I mean, first of all, pretty cool story. Good reason for florists to sell palms and all that kind of good stuff, right? I mean, but what, what, why is this really in the story? And let me kind of try to pull out some of the implications of this for us this way. In this particular text, Jesus is really acting out of character. When you think about the life of Jesus all the way along, what did he consistently do when it came to in relationship to his identity, his power, his miracles, and those kinds of things, he was always downplaying it, right? You know, when he, when he turns the water into wine, and he, he kind of downplays the whole thing. You know, he, he would do miracles and then tell people, don't tell anybody. You know, when the disciples confessed him as the Son of God, he said, you got to keep that to yourself for a while. You know, there was time when they wanted to make him the king, and they he kind of slipped out, exit stays left, and got out of there before they could take it up. He, he was always trying to back away from the notoriety of being the one. 
You know, he, he always wanted to keep it on the down low. But here, in this particular passage, he's acting out of character. Who was who the one who comes up with the idea to go fetch the donkey? It's Jesus, right? Jesus is actually taking the initiative to create a whole scene that in all of its pieces is going to cry out, I'm the one. I'm the Messiah. I am absolutely unique. I am the one that you've been waiting for. He's going to climb on a donkey, which is connected with the Messiah, this prince of peace riding into the city on a symbol of peace. He's going to orchestrate the whole thing, and they're going to start putting out the robes. He's going to actually get to a point where people say, you know, you're going to make this stop. People are going to get the wrong ideas. And he he says, no, 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 this is the right idea. Because if these people weren't doing it, the stones would be doing it. Jesus is acting out of character, and for one moment in time, he is declaring down to all of history, I really am the Messiah. I'm the one. I am the one. He's also declaring, and it's time. He says, you know, I came, and God's been working this out in the fullness of time. God sent his son into the world, and now in the fullness of his son's life in the world, it's time. Passovers had come and go, but now it was the time. It was the time for him to actually be the Passover lamb that he had come to be. It is time for him to become the one that would take on all the iniquity of the world on himself. It it, it was time. And Jesus is saying, now is the moment. I'm the one, and now is the moment for me to fulfill the mission that God has for me. I do it willingly. I do it voluntarily. It's time. It's an incredible message. You know, I, I sometimes we live in a society today, right, that we try to shy away from absolutes and this and that and et cetera. And you'll, you'll read people who, who know how to speak with spiritual overtones and they'll say, you know, Jesus really, you know, he's just a great teacher. He can guide us or whatever. But, he, you know, he never really claimed to be the, that. That's baloney. Jesus, in the triumphal entry, is saying, I am absolutely unique in human history I am the one. I am the only way to get to the Father. There's no other name given unto heaven by which men must be saved. There's forgiveness proclaimed in no other name but my name. I am the one. That's why this story matters. It's not just for us to have some palms to go home. Jesus is acting out of character because he's finally showing his inner character. He's the Messiah. And it's time. And he's ready for it. So here on this particular Passover celebration... On the first day of that week in the Jewish calendar, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. A clear claim that he is the one sent by God as the Messiah. He is the man who is the Son of God. It's a tremendous message to us. That's the what. And you can look at all the pieces that go with it. The word Hosanna that they were crying out. By by the time Jesus' day, it was basically just like a word like, Hooray! Yay! You know, it's just a general rejoicing word. But in its origin, it was a plea, God, save us! Lord, save us! And they're singing this out as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey specifically fulfilling what Zechariah had proclaimed some 500 years before, that there was going to become a time when the nation would once again have a king, but he wasn't going to be just the king of Jerusalem. He was going to be king of all the world. There's a lot of what to it. So what's the so what? Here we are some 
you know, 2,100 years later. What's the story for us? And, and I want to gather up my comments this morning about the so what underneath this question. Why did the cheering stop? Why did the cheering stop? On Sunday, now granted, most of the pilgrims are Galileans. They knew a little bit more about Jesus, etc. But you can tell by the story, Matthew and all the, the other Gospels that, boy, this created quite an uproar and Jesus was a talk of the town. And all the stories were flooding through the city. But come Friday morning, the cheering's gone. And the Hosannas are replaced with crucify him. Why did the cheering stop? Why did the cheering stop for Jesus? He enters in. All the hosannas are being around. He's fully in it. I'm sure there was a smile on his face. But halfway down the hill, he starts crying. Why is that? You know, there's a statement in here why. He says, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes. The crying, the, 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 the cheering for Jesus stopped because he knew that the majority of those who were spread out before him in the city, and at times the, the city of Jerusalem may have swelled to over a million people during Passover week, that, that these folks weren't going to see the gift that God was given through the unique one who was the Messiah. In fact, if you go back a couple of chapters in the book of Luke, it says that Jesus looked over the city one time and, 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 and he was just heartbroken. You know, and, and he said, so often I've, I look to gather you to myself like a, like a hen gathers her chicks to herself. But, but every time God sends you somebody, you reject them and you stone them. Jesus wept because the gift that he was bringing was not going to be received. But what about the people? Why'd they stop cheering? You know, and if we were sitting around in a life group and we just said, okay, well, why do you think the people stopped cheering? And there were 10 or 12 of us. We'd come up with 10 or 12 different answers and they'd probably all have some validity. But let's try to just grab a couple things out of this text that, that may give us some direction as to why the cheering stopped. And maybe it might offer some counsel to us to make sure in our lives the cheering never stops. I want you to look at that last word in, in all the verses we've read, this word visitation. You know, he said, you know, you, you, here it is because I've showed up and, and because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Now that word is usually re review, used to refer to one or two events. There's either a visitation that shows up and there's judgment. Or there's a visitation that shows up and there's deliverance. And, and here he says, Jesus has showed up and it's the time of visitation. I, I don't think that's about judgment. That's to come down the road, as we read in, in other places in, in the New Testament. So he's coming to bring deliverance. He's coming to set the captives free, right? But the problem that happens here is that they're looking for a different type of deliverance. And they can't see the visitation. You know, see, there's some things that happen between... <laughs> between between Sunday and Friday that just confuse the people. They're, they're looking for deliverance. But, but what they're really looking for, if you will, is, is a different type of deliverance than what Jesus is prepared to give them. You see, as Jesus wrote in, they, they were looking for deliverance from Rome. 
and he was bringing deliverance from sin. And several of the things that happened through the course of the week just made that really clear to them. One was that, you know, he, the first thing he does is he cleans the temple out. It's a rejection of the way that they're worshiping God. Then they have the whole question about taxes offered to Caesar, and, and he actually generates a miracle where they pay taxes to Caesar. And well, what is up with that? See, they wanted deliverance from their circumstances. And Jesus was bringing deliverance in the midst of their circumstances. He was bringing the forgiveness of sin. They didn't want to have anything to do with that. You see, there was probably nothing that made the skin of a Jewish person crawl more than being under the control of a pagan nation. I mean, it just made their skin crawl. You know, it, just, it was just a bad taste in their mouth every single waking moment of their lives. And there's nothing they crave more than being free of the control of the pagan. And here were the Romans, right smack dab in the middle. I, I don't even know if we have a comparison to it today. I wonder today if, how we would feel if, like, all of a sudden our country was dominated by, like, Al-Qaeda. You know, how, how would that make us feel if we just couldn't, couldn't get rid of them, but they just had control over us? I mean, it would just eat at us, wouldn't it? And, it, and, this was, and they were looking for deliverance from their circumstances. And Jesus was bringing forgiveness to them in the midst of their circumstances. And they couldn't recognize. There's also a sense in which he was bringing that deliverance in a way that they really didn't want to accept it. The, this word that he says, you know, that in verse uh, 41, he says, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? And that word knew, know there is, is, you know, it's used lots of different ways in the scriptures. You know, we, we have, you know, certainly has the idea of factual understanding. We, like we know that Lemonster is just north of Sterling, you know, or that the the Declaration of Independence was signed on July 4th. We, we know that stuff to be factually true, but sometimes it has a relational component. You know, we, you know, Adam knew Eve, and with that they had a child, and it has that intimacy aspect. But here it has a different flavor to it. Remember in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus is kind of talking about the various people who have done things, and he, and he looks at, and, and in this things, the master is going to look at someone and say, depart me from me because I never knew you. Now Jesus knows everything. He knows how many hairs you got on your head. He knows how many hairs you've lost off the top of your head. He knows everything. What that pastor is really saying is, you know what? Depart from me because I never approved of you. I never accepted you. Here they are. It says that you, 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 don't, you don't know what makes for peace. You, you don't approve of it. You don't accept it. See, what they wanted, they wanted peace as a result of conflict. Jesus was bringing peace in the midst of conflict. He, he didn't come to be a conquering hero. He came to be a suffering servant. He, and they didn't want to accept peace on his terms. They wanted to accept peace on their terms. And the cheering stopped. You know, a little earlier in the book of Luke, he, you know, he says that, you know, if you, if you want to walk with me, you've got to take up your cross daily and follow me. If you want to be the greatest, you can become the servant of all. And, and he offers peace, but he offers it on his terms. And when we don't like those terms, when we don't approve of those terms, when we don't accept those terms, we don't know those terms, the cheering stops. The cheering stops. So the, the questions I have for us as we kind of 
look at this time where Jesus acted out of character and, and he just took a time in history where he just made the, the biggest exclamation point he could, that said, one that continues to re- just reverberate down through history, I am the one. The question is for us, why did the cheering stop? Perhaps we might translate it to ourselves, has the cheering ever really begun in our lives? Have we ever really had a moment where we were celebrating the fact that God had given us the greatest gift that he could give? That was his intervention into human history in, in, in human form. Fully God, fully man, and he did for us what nobody else could do. He gave himself for us. The reason that Jesus wept was not just because of the fear that he had, that he was going to suffer physical pain, But he was going to experience the thing that he abhorred more than anything else. He was going to experience sin for the very first time. Him who knew no sin became sin. And he literally endured all of the wrath of God stored up for all eternity. He did it all for us. Have we ever begun the cheer of accepting that gift that God's given to us? Perhaps another question is, will the cheering stop? in your life, and in mine. You know, we've just been doing a study on prayer, right? And it's been marvelous. You know, we've been reading about this great God who's honored by our great prayers, and we've been inspired to be more diligent in our prayers and, and all those kinds of ideas. We've seen wonderful answers to prayer as we've read about them and been inspired, great prayer promises and all those kinds of things. But I wonder if as we launch into being a people of prayer, if the answers don't come quite the way we want or on the speed that we want, is the cheering going to come to an end? You know, it doesn't have to. Now, I got, a, I got an email this morning from one of our leaders who's just had surgery for the third time. Should be the end of it. Had a little bit, some hiccups with it over the last couple of days, but now it seems like all that is in the past and they're going to be able to move forward. And just writing out a prayer, just thanking God for, for the tremendous prayer covering he had received from folks that were in his circle. And, and just a tremendous cheer for what God had done. But as I thought about his, his email in relationship to what we're talking about this morning, what really gave me a profound sense of joy was I know that in this guy's life, the cheering would never end. This is a guy who's already lost a wife to a tragic accident in the past, and the cheering didn't stop. This is a guy whose company was sold out from under him, doesn't have a job at the moment, but the cheering didn't stop. It doesn't have to stop. It doesn't have to stop. The question is, will it stop? And has it ever started in our lives? Let's pray together for just a minute. God, thanks for making it clear. Despite all the things that Jesus did in his earthly life, that there was a moment in time when you made it clear to all those who were around him and clear to us that he is the one. God, let the cheering begin in us and let it never end. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.